do you think it means to be included? podcast. Uh, joining you today is myself, Paul, one of the interns here at Front Porch. And me, Emily again, another intern. <laughs> nice. And we are going through another one of our Politics of the Divine Saturday Nights from Winter Quarter. This one was led by me? Emily herself mm-hmm. on Utopia. Yeah. And the way this one went, sometimes, you know, you think you're recording the whole thing, but you don't get it all. We got about half. So in our intro here, we're going to sort of cover some of the things that we got into on that Saturday night. And then that will meet up with the recording of the talk from mid-February. Yeah. So it'll be kind of interesting. We'll meet these ideas of utopia sort of with where we are now and where we're feeling in the midst of all the sorts of new things and how things were looking a couple months ago, I suppose. Sounds good. Yeah. So we started by discussing ideas about utopia. So I kind of just posed the question um of what comes to mind whether that's an image or some words or something we've read um i think that's something that's probably changed in the last few months as our circumstances have changed but yeah just what that brings to mind what utopia brings to mind what that word brings to mind yeah Mm. (laughs) i mean something better than what is Mm -hmm. I think is what I think of. I also, I mean, whenever I think of utopia, I just think impossible. Yeah. Because so much of um, where we think things are headed, one, we're historically horrible at predicting the future. Yes. Whenever we think, oh, this is how things are going to go. This is what's the, whether it's some sort of like, what's technology going to be like in 30 years or... (laughs) What's the results of this election or what's the, how is, how are all these things going to go? Yeah. Why aren't we flying by now? Yeah. Why aren't we, why don't we have jetpacks? Why don't we have personal jetpacks? <laughs> um, we're just really, really bad at that. And so then envisioning a society that's in some point in the future that is, has some sort of ideal functioning mm-hmm. 
any idea we might have about that based on our based on our prior guesses probably not going to be very good yeah whether that's some sort of ideal society or a dystopian society it's Mm -hmm. like either way you just aren't we just can't nail it down yeah yeah i think uh, a lot of what we heard in that in that discussion if i'm remembering correctly were very ambiguous images so a lot of Mm. like oh i picture a lot of light and it's warm and like a sunny day or (laughs) maybe a more concrete thing of what you were saying like oh a society in which everyone is taken care of or everyone's happy or there's no conflict and i mean like you were saying while that's great we don't know how to get there or maybe we do but we don't know how to pass that knowledge on to other people or come to a shared conclusion and so I think starting with that was both helpful and unhelpful in that we kind of realized we can't come to a shared definition or end goal but my follow-up question to that was then like is it productive to think about utopia and do we can we put value on that kind of thinking and those kind of ideas and what does that give us? Yeah, I think so. Imagining ideal scenarios and like just dreaming in general is like a pretty good practice. That's why people set goals. Mm-hmm. It's like you can see yourself doing it. Then yeah, you visualization. Get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, when a lot of situations seem really dire when you look at the world and it's like, oh, you know, we can't figure out how to affordably take care of any everyone mm-hmm. in a healthcare perspective or we can't figure out how to give housing mm-hmm. to everybody in our society it's like oh like what it, what would it be like if we could do that mm-hmm. or i don't know just all these all these different things where you kind of see a problem and you're like well what could that look like or you know environmental degradation how do you get to a society where that's like, I don't know, we mm-hmm. cooperate in a much better way and partner with the earth mm-hmm. in ways that our extractivist and development mindsets mm. haven't permitted. Mm-hmm. You got to have a dream of like what that might look like yeah, to get there. So this sort of like imaginative place, um, you could call it utopian, utopian dreaming or something like that Mm -hmm. that's a really good that's really good that seems good that seems worthwhile yeah yeah this i think it can take one of two forms though because i would say a lot of not a lot of some religious belief is that same sort of thinking Mm. of there's this place we're getting to eventually but that then releases people from making the current reality any better of this kind of escaping idea of like this far off utopia that I'll get to someday. Yeah. Uh, like not in this lifetime. I think that is possible, but I think then like what you were saying, it can also be a really grounding way of living, of trying to achieve that versus more waiting around for it. Yeah. So I think it, the way that we segued into the discussion and the talk was, um, a quote well i suggested that the word that would have been used might have been shalom 
mm. in the time of the Israelites. Um, and so then we kind of bridged those two ideas together through a quote. And um, what's shalom? Well, he defines it in here. Okay. So <laughs> it um, says shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Um, and that is, I'm not going to say his name correctly, Cornelius Plantinga. Yeah, got a nod. Um, and from a book titled Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. So from that, we kind of branched off into, um, from utopia to this idea of shalom being the way things ought to be and kind of using those words interchangeably of utopia, utopia as the way things ought to be and what we're kind of reaching towards, which led to a different discussion on for searching for some state of affairs or circumstances that are the way they should be. I think that really naturally brings up a lot of ideas of what is not the way it should be. And so we talked about that for a little bit. Um, a lot of the isms, racism, sexism, all of those were brought up. And those are such, they feel like such core parts of our society that they come to the surface very quickly. Yeah. Um, as things that are not as they should be that don't hold to these ideas of utopia and shalom. Um, and they're just such a part of, at least in the U.S., of our history. Mm -hmm. So much of the development of America was built on certain people mm -hmm. assuming supremacy over other groups of people. Even in the George Washington, everybody's, you know, praise for George Washington, founder of America, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, he was so quiet in meetings because everybody thought that he said was so important and they would listen so carefully. The man was a speculator. This means... As a property-owning white man holding all the power in society, and he, his, um, so much of the backing of the revolution was so that people like him, people mm -hmm. who would speculate on how much land would be worth mm -hmm. to acquire and consolidate mm -hmm. more wealth in this very small class mm -hmm. of people, um, how could they do this without the... Mm -hmm messing around of a king elsewhere mm -hmm. it's like sure the king elsewhere idea not super helpful for all the people <laughs> who are being taxed for these different mm -hmm. reasons that they have nothing no say over but who's leading this situation it's land speculators mm -hmm. and you know you look at all the examples of that's that's a more class-based example certainly embedded in all sorts of issues of mm -hmm. race but then history of racism in america runs deep yeah yeah <laughs> so an easy place to go to be like these are the things that at least in our society they don't have to be here mm -hmm. and having them not be here would certainly seem like would move us towards a an ideal ideal state of affairs yeah and i think within those as we look at them and as we looked at them on that saturday it's really easy to see how quickly ideas of utopia because for him that was it was you know i have no authority outside of for george washington or okay. for people in power 
that might be utopia for them. Yeah. And so I think it brings up a lot of questions of who is deciding what this looks like and who is like, where are they taking us? Yeah. And a lot of times, like we realized in the beginning, it's really hard to get to a shared vision of utopia. So it's, it's more easy and more maybe productive at sometimes to align yourself with one person or one group or one way of being that is maybe not perfect, but trying to get you there. Yeah. Um, and so I think we, we latch on to people or ideas or ideologies that, that can try to get us there um, or maybe align more with our view of utopia than someone else's. And yeah. so I think that's how a lot of religious groups and social movements begin are they become a means of achieving utopia and sort of that the leaders of different right. disparate values into one right. message yeah and then that's what we give our stamp of approval to is well i'm part of this group and this is what we're seeking to accomplish um and that these movements are very often there's there's usually a face to the movements and so then that person becomes this sort of messiah candidate for that movement and that utopia. Um, and so we kind of developed that idea for a little bit um, that that isn't inherently bad because it can be a way to clarify our goals and to find unity in our ideas. Um, but it also has sort of a messier side of if you're endorsing this this path or this movement you're also endorsing the other parts of their utopia that you might not align with so we kind of looked at the christian movement and aspects of that and then aspects of the feminist movements um and what they thought the world as it ought to be is um i gave some funny examples of preachers and sneakers <laughs> <laughs> and how the christian idea of utopia is much more nuanced than we think it is and that was a and what is preachers and sneakers preachers and sneakers is an instagram account um preachers and sneakers all one word <laughs> if you want to look it up <laughs> um and it is are they still posting with i don't know all the people zoom in there zoom in and live streaming there i don't follow anymore um but pretty much it's a uh instagram account where people can send in pictures of these usually mega church pastors and preachers and they're wearing all sorts of designer clothes and shoes and they tag the items and put the prices and it's poking fun at the affluence that being a large uh church leader provides while maybe teaching messages that don't align with that so that was a sort of more humorous example of how these figures who represent our beliefs might represent them in a way that we don't agree with um and so I kind of use that just as a funny example of the divisions within these two movements and how even in like the larger feminist movement we read through like 20 plus divisions within that of ecofeminism black feminism um 
and realizing that maybe the more the more tightly we hold on to our version of utopia the less unifying it gets and while we can say we're under this umbrella of feminism or christianity there's actually so many divisions within it and i think this just further proves how hard it is to get to one shared vision and one shared world yeah and how it i don't know how it further divides us when it's supposed to be this unifying thing well and the divisions in each of these movements in christianity and in feminism i wouldn't say that the divisions in feminism are necessarily bad Mm -mm. having division within this space is actually really important because when feminism first set out there was not much of an inclusion of Mm -hmm. a black perspective right um or an indigenous perspective Mm -hmm. what does feminism look like to an indigenous person versus to a an affluent white woman Mm -hmm. those are very different right views of equality Mm -hmm. equality sort of being the base note right of all these things yeah um and so yeah trying to think about like division not necessarily as weakening the movement as so much as trying to encompass more and Mm -hmm. more voices Mm -hmm. and um worldings right um within one um trajectory i Mm -hmm. suppose Mm -hmm. christianity the division's a little bit it's so interesting because it's more based on like like do you think that jesus is actually in (laughs) the the bread and the wine Mm -hmm. when we take it for uh, the sacrament of communion yeah or how do you think (laughs) baptism physically works does it physically put someone in this place where they're you know chosen to go somewhere where they're after they die can they do it before they could actually consciously make the choice does it count if they're a baby should they do it again can you have multiple it's like these divisions are not so much about a differing view Mm -hmm. of well i guess it is it's a differing view but it's uh, i feel like at least to me it's so much more ambiguous because you don't know yeah you don't know how baptism works i i don't know yeah, they seem like less concrete divisions. Right. Whereas because feminism, it's like you're included or you're not included. Yeah. Christianity, it's more this belief is included, this belief is not included, and how we separate yeah. along those lines. Yeah. And what you get in Christianity over 2,000 years of history, 40,000 denominations. A lot of that, and uh, I don't really want to get into Christian Protestant history, <laughs> but... The the big shift that, you know, caused all of these all of these sort of parallel versions of Christianity mm-hmm. to each other was a, a new well one, it was embedded within a technology, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. This division came about in part because you could print way more Bibles yeah. than ever before. You translate them, give them to people. That possibility never happened before and mm-hmm. everybody's just trying to write their own copy of it read one you write every each word when you're just mass printing mm-hmm. this caught this is very interesting that the division is also embedded within certain like mm. developments in technology yeah so i don't know how that's connected but it doesn't have to be <laughs> it's a good thought regardless 
Oh, and then we got into different prominent figures in both movements and how we don't really have to get specifically into that, but how they represent different aspects of both feminism and Christianity and different utopias and including different people and excluding different people um, and kind of furthering those divisions, but also inviting different beliefs or different groups of people into it so it's kind of this good and bad of if the goal is to further feminism as a whole or further christianity as a whole maybe we're they're not doing that Hmm. but they're including kind of like you said a wider scope of belief or a wider scope of participation overall because of these divisions so we talked a little bit about that and i think what we got to at that point was just this idea of really needing to think critically about who we're backing and who we're supporting and what their, what kind of utopia or what, what shalom they're offering us or trying to offer us. Yeah. And that maybe where our world is heading right now is not what a lot of people would consider to be the way it ought to be. Yet we're keeping people in power or we're, not putting people in power who might better support our own ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember if you got into this, but the word utopia, I think it's a Greek word, literally means no place. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk about it, but I had I had toyed with the idea of starting with that in the beginning because it was meant to be this fictional place mm-hmm. where things were a certain way and it, the the point of it is that it doesn't exist almost where it's like yes it's without place yeah because it's not supposed to be real yeah yet it's been a relatively long-standing idea and and way of thinking about the world because it has so much hope embedded in it and i think hope is such a necessary thing for humanity and then it does move us somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting that the very idea <laughs> means that it is not. It's the not, the <laughs> not place. Right. Yeah. One thing that we talked about is how like, social movements a lot of times like, um, are really portrayed in the media. So they're like widespread more so. Whether that be like news or like a celebrity bringing something to light or a movie, book, TV, like anything. Whereas I feel like a lot of Christian movements are more of a domino effect. Like one person or community affects another person or community and kind of like is a little bit smaller scale in that sense. Um, Especially because like with a lot of social movements, there's like you said, like a big ideas and slogans and things. And if you don't feel like you fit into that, are you a part of it? Whereas with a lot of like religious movements, a lot of people see things as like take what you want and it's a little bit more diverse and fluid. I think that both Christianity and feminism in their purest form, whatever that is, um, that they're both seeking to, they should, well feminism definitely is, is taking a portion of the population of humanity has been not given rights to be this equal human being and saying 
So I, all that back to the question, I think the strategy, like telling stories of people's lives. Um, because I think the more that you hear the stories of someone's life, the more that you hear the story of, or the more that you hear the feminine perspective, the more that people, because people have heard the masculine perspective forever, um, sadly. And so to, for people to then hear the feminine perspective, it's like, oh, whoa. And, and I think in, again, in an idealized Christian, that that's, that that's one of their strategies as well. As to... When I was writing this one, it struck me as a little bit more difficult than maybe thinking of what utopia might mean or coming up with some examples of it because I think the broader the view of these two movements, the more ambiguity we have about how to accomplish what we're looking for. Um, makes sense to have a standard and widely shared goal like evangelism or maybe sacraments. Um, but it actually can make achieving it a little bit harder. And I think this kind of dilemma usually causes us to align ourselves with one person or one system of belief. Um, we see this a lot with political candidates, that someone might not check all of the boxes for what we would want in a leader or someone in a position of power, but they check enough of them that we're okay with it. Um, and sometimes we give a great deal of thought to this process of aligning ourselves, but sometimes we don't. Um, and whether we completely agree with this person or this system of thought or half-heartedly agree or somewhere in the middle, um, we are buying into that leaders or that system's utopia. Hitler's Germany was not filled with people who completely aligned with his methods and his strategies. It was filled with people who chose to align themselves with him and therefore his utopia. Who we choose to follow and how they think the world ought to be matters profoundly. We're going to quickly gloss over some prominent feminist figures. Um, these women all have had or do have large followings. Um, Susan B. Anthony is probably the best known advocate for women's voting rights. Um, she's top left. And then next to her is Betty Friedan. Um, she's an author and academic whose book, Feminine Mystique, is credited in some circles as sparking second wave feminism. And then Bell Hooks is a social activist and social theorist who studies and reflects reflections on gender um, have widely influenced the more recent waves of feminism. So they are leaders in their respective movement, and they all hold or held a vision of utopia. Um, for Susan B. Anthony, a large part of that was political equality for women. So naturally, her main strategy was ensuring that women had the right to vote. For Betty Friedan, it was about expanding the role of women into the workforce. Um, for Bell Hooks, it's about intersectional equality. Um, so in a way, these women serve as what we'll call Messiah candidates for their movements in similar, in similar ways as they might in religious spheres. People support and identify with their cause and their methods, and then this power allows their utopia to begin to take form. We see prominent influential figures in the Christian movements as well, people like Mother Teresa, who is very widely known. Um, she started her own order in the Catholic Church called the Missionaries of Charity. Um, and she emphasized service and faith that is supported by action. Her utopia involved the care of some of the poorest and most under-resourced communities in our world. Um, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose utopia included equality, representation, and respect for all people, whose dream was a world as it should be, and a world 
elsewhere all people matter. Both of these leaders have gained international renown for their ideologies and their methods, but does that mean that the world is necessarily heading in that direction? I'm not sure. <laughs> so if we look at our world right now as it is on February 8, 2020, and we kind of work backwards, what could you guess that our utopia might look like if we continue on this path? So if the movements we've talked about have no more grounding and things continue as they're going, where is our world going to end up? And where will they take us? It's hard for me to grasp that, like an objective utopia, like a utopia. Because I feel that even within the groups that we've mentioned, there's, there's a different end goal, there's a different utopia we're talking about. And so for there to be at the end of this road of humanity, one single utopia, I think it would be incredibly hard for us to agree upon that. The history of feminism, the history of Utopia is one that is rooted in the world working the way it is because that's better for you, if that is true. And then another one where people might feel the world isn't working for them and wanting to change that by however they see fit. And so it's not like one exact utopia, but there's a bunch of people saying the way everything is going is not working for me and it didn't work for my brother or sister or whatever. And then there's people that are like, the world really works for me and I'd like to keep it that way. And that's like in the US and also in like other countries. Like, and as the world kind of gets more connected with technology, like understanding how everything works, like Africa is not a third world country anymore. It's like the fastest developing continents. Maybe have the biggest growing cities that has that. And so those people are going to start to say, like, well, I mean, the world hasn't worked for Africa for centuries. And they say, oh, well, it's kind of like that it works for us. And there's people like people in America, like, well, the world works for us. A lot of people in America, a lot of people in America also don't feel like it works for them. And they're trying to find that out. And it's not one utopia, but I think those are like two distinct groups that have different utopias. If we keep, if the world keeps working for, who it's working for now, where will we end up? Are we okay with that being the world of our future? <laughs> I think it's hard to answer because we all say no, and then we just say no and keep doing what we're doing. I think we need to look very, very closely at the beliefs methods and strategies of the people that we're following and putting in positions of power and asking, is their utopia my utopia? And if it's not, we better get out of the line that they're leading. And I don't have an answer for whose utopia is going to bring about the world as it ought to be, but I do know that we need to think more critically about whose utopias we're supporting whether that's politically, religiously, or socially. 
learning and flourishing and see if our actions and decisions allow for that to happen as well. Because whether we realize it or not, our chosen leaders and their utopias are what is going to shape our future. That's all I've got for you. I just had a question I was thinking about. Do you think, I, I guess it's just a question to the Do you think utopia would be utopia if it valued all people's utopias? <laughs> Obviously, someone doesn't think it's a utopia, and that like wouldn't work. I think this is not part of this, but just um, when Paul was talking about the idea that uh, like people who have benefited from the way the world is find it very hard not to think that that's the way the world should be, and so when you are in a place of privilege or you are the oppressor, equality feels like injustice because it's equality. So even if the utopia is equality, people are going to get happy with it. I think. So I think utopia on a human nature basis is that we win all the time and we feel fulfilled and we have access to whatever we want indefinitely, but equality doesn't really line up with that. So, <laughs> um, so then, I guess like what I was thinking of is like, if I'm going to say my utopia is where all people matter, but then I'm also saying if all people mattered, but their beliefs didn't matter, or how they felt, or like, because, because like, what you, exactly what you were saying, like if you're in a place of privilege, and then you're giving up that privilege, it's gonna feel like oppression. Like, you, does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That maybe, like how, how can we reconcile all people mattering against maybe what all people believing or feeling not mattering? I feel like the oppression and like privilege thing could be redeemed if you could like somehow feel this is impossible, like create a society where people can thrive enough without like push people down, which is how I see everything. But we as humans in California don't understand the people that we're pushing down when we go to Target and when we go to get coffee, all these other things. And if that was able to like maybe be informed and people would be less selfish, but like Everything operates as like you're gonna live an amazing life if you're the one who wants, to, who's able to push everyone down, mm -hmm. and like maybe that wouldn't be utopia for everyone, but it would be just enough if we could like mm -hmm. get by without pushing anyone down on our way to get by. Mm -hmm. Point out what Ben said. I think that you. Well, first of all, I don't think I think the idea of utopia. And this goes out of the book. Some of you I know. Sapiens, but like even the idea of utopia would be a myth. Um, like there's no there's no such thing as utopia. Um, it, it's a myth that Homo sapiens have developed. That there's this idea of this perfect 
thing that can exist. Um, and the author of Sapiens would argue that myths are this really good thing. He also argues that religion in general are myths. Um, but that, that, but that's not to say that they're not they're not any less valuable, um, even though they're not true um, in a sense. But that we gather around myths. Um, and so, in response to what Ben said, I think when you can come around a myth. So, for front porch, for instance, the myth is our our vision statement, our quote unquote utopia, is that every person and every moment matter. Um, and that's a myth. Um, but we as a staff, and then inviting students into that, volunteers into that, come around that myth. Um, and where I think it gets really important. So not everyone's going to have that. I, it'd be fascinating if all humanity could gravitate towards one myth. I don't know if that's ever possible. Um, but even if you gravitate towards a myth like the one the front porch has, that you're able to look at people who adhere to a different myth and not judge them based off of, don't start with their myth. Start with the fact that they too are a human being. And I think if people in general in the world could begin to do that, we could hold on to, I know it gets tricky because some people have myths that say that certain people don't matter at all. Um, but if enough of these things could begin to happen, like this isn't a commercial for front porch, but if enough, <laughs> but maybe it is, but if enough, but if enough of these communities like a front porch-esque type community where it says that yes, we believe this, but people are welcomed into this who don't even believe this, but we're not gonna judge them based off of what they believe, we're gonna start first and foremost with the fact that they are a human being. And because that they are a human being, um, we want to hear their story. Even if their story is different than us, even if their idea of utopia or whatever is different than ours, we still want to at least hear it. I don't know if it, it I, it's not really an answer, but I don't know what Jen and Ben said maybe we can Tell, like talking about and saying and like taking in of something triggers a similar dopamine pathway, like reward pathway as they say, to actually like doing that thing do it enough. So like things like, I mean, like in my life, I was saying, and I, mean, I probably will never live in a van full time, but for a while I was talking about like, I'm gonna live in a van, I'm gonna live in a van. I was like telling everyone, I'm gonna live in a van. And, cool. and I was like, yeah, I'm that guy who's like, gonna live in a van. That's why I didn't even have a van. Um, van still for sale. Yeah. <laughs> and now for sale. what does it seem like our view of utopia is and I think we came up with a lot of either it's impossible and we've given up on it and so that it doesn't matter where we're going and who's included or we just have a really messed up view of how the world should be and then from there we talked about maybe we just have the wrong maybe the where the world is heading is someone's utopia 
and it's the people we've put in power and it's because they're in power and they get to stay in power so for them like this is utopia and like Mm. we're here already well and even just in the shift of phrase of the incumbent president's slogan we had make america great again and now we're just keeping america great Mm -hmm. we've done it we have arrived this is the future within which we have poured all the work Mm -hmm. to get to and now it's just about holding holding the the perfect society together right yet (laughs) and yet it definitely feels like we're not keeping keeping things great yeah yeah and so i think in their in their creation these two movements that we talked about were ways of saying this is not our best way of being this is not the world as it ought to be and even just i don't know I fight against some normative claims about how things ought to be. Mm -hmm. But even just how it might be, how could it be? Is this the best we could come up with? Right. Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. The ought then becomes this sort of like place that a lot of ambiguity can lie Mm -hmm. and the no-placeness of utopia Mm -hmm. where it's like we can use very ambiguous and like ungrounded language and have pie-in-the-sky vision of like, like oh you know we want these like huge big things that you know nobody really wants to put in any of the work to have happen right um and maybe that's the difference of utopia as a way of escaping current realities versus a way of changing and bettering current realities is one is more the ought yeah ought to be and one is more well it might be because that's much more it's more focused on your actions right now like well maybe doing this or living this way could be better yeah so it's worth trying versus first coming to this shared conclusion and this shared definition and this all these beliefs that we're trying to cram together to get to this one place that is no place (laughs) when maybe we should just be making small better decisions or smaller I don't know, just choices of more inclusion to get somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a ASI election going on right now mm-hmm. that was supposed to end today. Mm-hmm. We've yet to see what's going to happen, but one of the candidates has got a r- lot of really interesting to think things to say about diversity and inclusion and these sorts of this sort of language. Um, and he talks a lot about how the premise of diversity and inclusion is that these voices are outside of something and they must be included mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the space. They need the invitation into where the, the real action is. Mm. It's like, who's to say where the, the space of inclusion is, where mm-hmm. the where the mainstream and where the right things are that we're then opening the doors to the quote unquote diverse. Hmm. It's like, maybe what if the, what if the real juice, what if the, the utopian vision that seems um, far more wide and expansive and possible is the place that 
you know, the quote, diverse yeah. society is creating for themselves right, to be alongside fully... Alongside the mm-hmm. yeah. trajectory of the other one. Yeah. And hmm. the people who are saying, oh, come be included in our diversity and inclusion space. Maybe those people need to enter into the utopia where um, the the quotes diverse society have created their hmm. their their place in the world yeah um well it's interesting because a lot yeah. of the already included holds so much weight in that you're included in <laughs> services and resources that peop- other people are not so what do you mean like with social systems or civil rights or things like that, there definitely is a group that has access mm-hmm. and a group that does not have access. And yeah. I think with things like that, it's hard to say, oh, we'll just, we'll just jump ship over to the, to the place that has no, does not have those things hmm. because I think those are still necessary and those are still, should still be accessible to everyone you take something like voting or healthcare, right and so i think there is a opening of the doors in a sense of saying you are now included in these things yeah versus saying like well what is inclusion because i think that's Hmm. possible in certain i don't know less vital resources but yeah with things like healthcare or political rights I think there has to be a strict inclusion of everyone. Yeah. Only insofar as the system that people are being included (laughs) into is not inherently racist or classist. Because if there is a a great inclusion effort into an implicitly racist or classist system, that inclusion is very meaningless. Mm -hmm. Like you look at something like, um, you know, voter ID laws or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, Hey, no, yeah, you got the right to vote. Please vote. Yeah, try. Just try. And, you know, you show up to the polls. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't have your ID. Oh, okay, you're an indigenous person and your address doesn't look like, Mm -hmm. you know, American society's address. This move to include is so um, empty. Right. Because what are you including me into? You're Mm -hmm. including me into a system that does not see me see me it definitely sees me as a white white cis hat fellow um but sees me as sort of the person that's in excluded um not as a as a valued entity mm-hmm. i don't have a place in this in this world include me all day long but this is not my this is not my realm yeah or okay here's another here's another one um Laws around marijuana right now are changing Mm -hmm. a lot. It's really, really, really interesting. But you look at the sort of, okay, who's in jail? A lot of people are in jail right now for um, crimes that had those actions taken place Mm -hmm. five years, 10 years, 15 years later would not be facing the same penalty that they Mm -hmm. are currently serving those things for. Mm -hmm. And then what does the market for legal marijuana sale and this sort of thing look like most of that business 
is made up of white people mm-hmm. and they do not look like the people who are serving sentences for those offenses yeah. years before. So perhaps, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to include this this part of um, the world, uh, the sale and distribution of marijuana into our legal discourse. Right. But that inclusion is still, uh, it's a, it's still embedded within a, a mm-hmm. system that has so many um, biases and uh, contaminations. Mm-hmm. Um, so simple inclusion is just, it's so troubling because it's like, what can you, uh, what is someone being included into? Yeah. If I was excluded from something and I'm now being invited into it, and the system inherently does not want me there, mm-hmm. is that even something that I would want to be included right. into? And if you're on the side of inclusion the whole time, it feels really good to be like, come on in. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's hard stuff. These yeah. are the these are the toughest, <laughs> the toughest problems we can face. Mm-hmm. Designing a more perfect society. Yeah. Yeah. So if we look at our world right now and work backwards, what would you guess our utopia might look like? Where is it all headed, Emily? (laughs) Um, I mean, I think in my mind it definitely goes to the no place and the Hmm. more cynical, hopeless uh, train of thought of like, we just don't have one. Yeah. Or we we have one and and it's... Not enough. Does not include many people very few people i would say um and maybe in a sense it doesn't include anyone because the people who are the most wealthy right now i would say don't really have a good idea of their own humanity Hmm. and their own need for community and a collective experience and so i don't know that it's in terms of access to resources, in terms of wealth, in terms of capital, it might be utopia for them. But in terms of a fully human and connected experience, I don't really think it's utopia for anyone. Because mm. I think the way our world works right now, you need that. You need access to things that people are being denied access to right now. But on the other side. Just sort of like basic material yeah, needs. Yeah. Yes. Like we need our basic needs met. But even those people who have those things met, they're not full. I wouldn't say they're not full people. <laughs> um, but I think there there is there is a missing out on a collective experience. Yeah. Because that place that you get to when you have complete access to everything and you don't have to think about the people that don't i think is void of a lot of deep emotional experiences or can be yeah and looks a lot like isolation right it does which apt for right now Um, (laughs) but so i think if we're thinking utopia is a place to be fully human, a place to be fully connected and also get your basic needs met. I don't really think we're getting there at all for, for any anyone. Group. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, <laughs> I feel if anyone's good. got any ideas yeah, on how please. we, how we change, how we get there. 
let us know. <laughs> or just do them. Or just yeah. do the next might be better thing. <laughs> yep. And tell people about it. Run for city council. Yeah. <laughs> Start a blog. Start a blog. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Blog it up. Uh, all right. Uh, music for music for the for the front porch podcast brought to you by Life Grid. Find him on his Bandcamp and on SoundCloud as Life Grid. Uh, your hosts today were Emily and Paul, Ooh. as uh, as per usual. Mm-hmm. And find us on the gram. All the new front porch things are being put on our Instagram. Yeah. All our Zoom events, we got basically one thing happening every weekday for the rest of the quarter mm-hmm. at some point. Join us for trivia on Wednesdays at 6. We do that in Zoom and you'll meet some fun people and do trivia in a in a virtual setting. That's a real blast. Yeah. And Saturday nights, we're continuing our Politics of the Divine series over Zoom as well at 5 on f- Saturdays. And that has been a real blast so far. I feel like they're almost been better than our in-person worship gatherings. So we just get so much bigger mix of people. Mm -hmm. And it's almost all discussion. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. We put videos out to be discussed on our YouTube, Front Porch Slow. And this week, if you're hearing this on Friday or Saturday of the week it's putting out, getting put out. We're talking about a more compassionate politic. So perhaps that'll inform this discussion a little bit. Yeah. Could be good. 